Hello once again, everybody, and thank you for joining me here on this Wednesday, December 23rd edition of ATS Radio. I'm your host, Adam Burke. We'll be chatting college football and college basketball on today's show with professional better and handicapper Kyle Hunter from huntersportspicks.com. We'll talk some general bowl season thoughts. We'll break down the games through next Tuesday, and then we'll talk college basketball in the second half of the show. Some regression teams, some tempo changes, some teams to back and fade and a look ahead here at a couple of games coming up over the rest of the week. Over at ATS.io, tons of stuff going on. Very, very busy time of the year, obviously. The NBA back in session. Some very good NBA promotions over at DraftKings Sportsbook. You sign up through ATS.io. Not only will you get access to those promotions, but you'll also get the opportunity at up to a $1,000 sign-up bonus. Check that out over at ATS.io. And while you're there, Make sure you download the ATS app as well, which you can find in the Google Play Store, in the Apple Store, or you can find the direct links to download those in those two stores over at ATS.io. Just look up in the top menu, click on ATS app. You can read about that, read what the app is about. And as I said, get the direct links to download what is a bet tracker, an odd screen, basically a mobile version of ATS.io in the palm of your hand, but with some extra bells and whistles and a lot of cool stuff for you to check out there, as well as some premium model subscriptions, $9.99 a week, $19.99 a month. Those picks off to a nice start here. So check out the ATS app, download that from the Google Play Store or the Apple Store. And when you search for it, search against the spread. That'll make it a lot easier for you to find. With that, we bring on today's guest. That is professional better and handicapper Kyle Hunter from huntersportspicks.com. And Kyle, how's it going today, man? Going pretty well, man. Uh, busy week, a lot going on, and uh, excited to talk about some bowl games here. Yeah, and uh, the bowl season this year is is quite a bit different, of course, than we're used to seeing. Usually these bowl games come out, you know, maybe the first or second weekend of December, something like that. And we've got a lot of prep time for these teams. We sort of look at motivation angles and all that kind of thing. And, you know, so far in the bowl season, we've effectively had three blowouts. I mean, I know that Tulane scored a you know, late touchdown in that game against Nevada last night with seven seconds left, a 65-yard run. believe that put the game over the total as well, uh, which was a bad beat for some people out there. But, you know, really, you know, three blowouts thus far. And, and you sort of wonder if this will be a theme going forward here as, you know, some teams don't mind playing further and practicing further and others are just kind of ready to shut it down for the year. Yeah, it's hard to uh, handicap motivation, and I know that's very important, but, you know, we have a shorter time span here, like you said. Um, You have some teams that are clearly better than others. You have some teams who you have a lot of guys opting out of the season at this point. Uh, I think that there's going to be a lot of last-minute, you know, guys that aren't going to play. I'm very hesitant to bet games ahead of time right now. Usually I like to bet games early. I don't want to bet games very early in bowl season, and I have to say the UCF and BYU game is going to bother me for a little while because I had a strong lean there on BYU and I even tweeted this out. You know, I I was like, well, I don't think minus six and a half is cheap enough, so I'm going to have to pass. And I mean, just the the right side the whole way. But, you know, this season, I feel like it's, uh, you know, it's probably going to be my strategy to not bet too many of these bowl games because I do feel like there's quite a bit of uh, unknowns. Yeah, it definitely feels that way. My apologies. I think Tulane Nevada was already over the total. Uh, when that touchdown was scored, but maybe Tulane's team total kind of came into play there. I thought I saw something like that uh, scrolling through social media, a lot going on in my world right now. So uh, trying to stay on top of everything as best I can. 
Uh, but, you know, again, like we said, you know, motivation's important, but it's very hard to figure out here this year. And, and you wonder, you know, about some of those big favorites and how they perform in that role, stuff like that. And, you know, I'll mention what I said on Monday's show, the solo segment that I did, uh, just simply that, you know, look, I mean, you probably want to see with your own eyes what's going to happen in some of these bowl games. And, and thus far, you've gotten a pretty good idea very early in the game. So live betting is, is a great way to attack this bowl season, I think. Agree, because, um, you know, if you watch the first quarter and a team's not showing up in that first quarter, chances are they're not showing up the rest of the game either. So, you know, if we see a team come out of the, the gate really strong and the other team doesn't seem to care, probably go ahead and lay the points, you know, because um, that's that's been a good way to go here early in bowl season. And I don't think that that would be a bad way to go here as we go forward. I do think that you could get some chances if teams get far ahead, you might be able to play a live under. Because, you know, usually later in the game, if somebody's way ahead, there's going to be a lot of runs right up the middle and, you know, wasting some clock. So, you know, even the the BYU and UCF game stayed under the the closing total, at least. There was just a huge line move there. I think 69 up to 81 or something like that, which is almost unheard of. Um, so somebody got a nice middle there. But, you know, um, we're going to see some games where there's blowouts and the live under could come into play because, you know, when, when somebody's way ahead, that usually helps the the under. So I think live betting uh, makes a lot of sense here in this bowl season. Yeah, and that BYU-UCF game, I mean, there there were some points left on the field in terms of the yardage totals from that one. So yeah. that's one that definitely could have been a, a little bit higher scoring. We're not going to talk about the New Orleans Bowl. We just simply – there's really no reason to with the turnaround time of the show. Three, three o'clock kickoff, we'll, you know, have the show out probably – about an hour or so before the game actually gets going. So no reason to talk about that one. I guess for the day of listeners, if they get a chance to touch on this one here, the Montgomery Bowl between FAU and Memphis. Memphis, eight and a half point favorite pretty much across the market. I would say there are some nines out there as well. Total 52 and a half or 53. Uh, again, I don't think too many people are going to get our thoughts on this game. So we can be quick with it. Uh, any Any position, any thought from you? I'm not very excited about this game, to be honest. Um, Not a game that I'm really looking to watch even. So uh, maybe a Christmas movie or something like that with the family tonight instead of that. But, you know, I I have to say that, you know, this one does match an angle that I wanted to point out. Um, So there are some good angles. I don't I don't mean to hijack this segment just on on the game, but I'm going to say really quickly here that um, low ATS teams, teams that have covered less than 50 percent. And they're also have, they also have the better defense. So we're looking for a defense that allows 4.9 yards per play or less. And you're against a team that allows 4.91 or more. Um, zero to, to 49% covers. So under 50% covers the better defense, 54 and 22 ATS. That's 71.1%. And that's since 2006. So you're not going to get a lot of these. This one does fit it. Um, my caveat to this one is, you know, Florida Atlantic, I, I talked about this a few weeks ago. Florida Atlantic's defense is partially looking very good here because uh, they have played some really bad teams in Conference USA. There are some bad uh, defenses in general uh, in that conference, or bad offenses, I should say. Really bad teams. It's, it's a really weak league. Florida Atlantic's defense, I don't think, is as good as what they look on paper. Now, the question is, is Memphis excited to be here or not? I think you could question that because – Memphis really was kind of a disappointment this year, right? And, you know, I mean, they, I know they went seven and three. They were three and seven ATS, and they really didn't play very well. 
Um, this is a Memphis team that was only plus 0.17 yards per play margin on the season. I think if I had to take a side here, I would take Florida Atlantic. I don't love taking it because they've played such a weak schedule, but I don't want to lay this many points with Memphis either. Yeah, I think that's fair to say. I mean, this is, you know, an interesting one in the sense that you've got a Memphis team, as you said, that's been very underwhelming this year. And I think what's been most underwhelming about them, they haven't really played the most challenging of schedules. I know they played UCF, won that game. That game was a a mess all the way throughout. Got blown out by Cincinnati. They played some decent teams, lost to a two-lane team that, you know, obviously didn't look very good last night. The thing about Memphis is they scored 31.6 points per game despite gaining 460 yards per game. So this just has not been an efficient offense, hasn't been the greatest of red zone offenses. When you've got a spread like this, you got to put a little bit of margin in it. My line is 10, and and that's kind of a discussion in and of itself in terms of how much you want to trust your power rating numbers because this is one of those instances where, you know, these teams really only played conference games. So is Florida Atlantic able to go up against an AAC offense in a, you know, pretty high octane conference and shut them down the way they've shut down conference opponents? That's the point that you're making the question that you're asking here. And I don't really know the answer to that. It's just and not a game that's, that's really piqued my interest ever since the matchup was announced. Yeah, I agree. Um, I will say looking at Sagra and the strength of schedule, Florida Atlantic 130th. So that, that speaks to the the weakness of their conference. Memphis really not very good at 94th either. So um, no, I don't want to lay nine points here with Memphis. Actually my, my number uh, power ratings wise is nine. So I'm right on this. I don't trust my power ratings a lot in this bowl season with things being so complex. Um, I'm not going to bet games just solely on my power ratings here as I would earlier in the season I think that you know I'll lean here to Florida Atlantic and like I said you know far more excited about some of the other games we're going to talk about all right so we're going to Christmas Eve afternoon here between Hawaii and Houston this is the New Mexico Bowl to be played in Frisco Texas so that's kind of an interesting little thing about this game but you know I mentioned on Monday that this is one of my bigger power ratings overlays of the bowl season I have Houston minus seven and a half here maybe minus eight and a half or so now that the game is in the state of Texas and Hawaii, of course, with that long travel to the mainland. But this one has moved towards my number, although I don't think it's a true position with Houston now down to minus 10 and a half. It's that there are some COVID issues for the Cougars that came out earlier on in the week. Yeah, I think this one, so this one's in Frisco, Texas. I believe, if I remember correctly, this is where there's a soccer team that plays there. So this is a Toyota Stadium. I see the weather looks like it could be an issue. Um, 53 degrees, 19 miles per hour wind. That's probably why the total has gone down there in that one. I haven't handicapped this game very much yet. Um, We'll say that I do agree with the line move as well. I think that Hawaii uh, plus the points would be the only thing I could play in this game. It is interesting for Hawaii because a lot of times they get to play that game in Hawaii uh, for the bowl game. They're, They're not getting to do that this time, but you know, I think you could argue that Hawaii would be up for a game like this because, you know, it's it's different than what they've been used to. They get to play a, a somewhat big name team here. I would think that Hawaii would care about this one. Uh, Shevin Cordero, pretty good fit for this offense. You know, Hawaii has been able to run the ball pretty well throughout the course of the season. If you look at Hawaii, um, they're, they're really still a fast paced offense, but they're Uh, more run oriented here under Todd Graham than what they were in the past, not as much of a passing team. 
Um, to, to me, Houston, uh, Houston's still a bit of an unknown. I mean, Houston, they've played seven games. They're three and four, three and four ATS. They're negative 0.08 yards per play. Um, Hawaii's negative 0.51. So Hawaii hasn't exactly set the world afire either. But Hawaii's big problem has been sacks. They've given up way too many of them. Uh, 26 sacks allowed in, in a short season there for them. And they've only gotten 13 sacks, so they're negative 13 sack margin. Uh, I can't lay the points here with Houston. I'm going to say like I did last time. Uh, you know, I, I feel like this is a lot of points for a team that really hasn't been very good. You know, what has Houston really proven so far this year that would make you be very excited about laying 11 points with them? Um, I couldn't do it myself. I would lean toward taking Hawaii plus the points. I don't really have any lean on this total. My total here is 60, but the weather uh, could be an issue. So I'm going to lean to Hawaii and nothing on the total here. Well, and something that's kind of an interesting wrinkle about this bowl season, you know, we're used to long layoffs and, and things of that sort, but we're also used to teams playing week after week after week in the regular season. Houston has played one game since November 14th. That was a loss to Memphis as a six and a half point favorite. When money came in on Houston prior to that game, I didn't understand it. We talked about it with Brad Powers on the show. Both of us liked the Memphis side in that one. Memphis wasn't great in that game per se, but they did cover the number win outright. Houston's got that one data point since November 14th. Meanwhile, Hawaii has left the island once since the start of November. They played at San Diego State November 14th. So, Long travel for them, something they haven't done in a while. Houston only playing one game over basically the last six weeks. And that's something that's kind of going to be an issue here, and it already has been an issue in some of these early bowl games with teams that just haven't really been in any kind of rhythm. Yeah, I think that we could could continue to see something like that. Um, and, and again, I mean, I don't mean to belabor the point, but Houston hasn't done anything that would really make them be – uh, you know, trusted by too many people. And I don't know that, you know, Holgerson is a great coach to be laying a lot of points with, you know, I know he's a, a pretty good offensive mind, but Houston's defense isn't very good. They give up a lot of big plays. I would think Hawaii would be able to score some points here. And, you know, I don't think that Houston has really played a great schedule either. You know, if you, if you look at Houston, uh, they had a pretty good showing for a while in that BYU game. And then they just completely fell apart in that game. I don't trust Houston very much. I think Hawaii is the only way you can look as far as the side in this one. All right, so we do have a Christmas Day Bowl game this year, the Camellia Bowl, also in Montgomery, Alabama, same as the spot for Florida Atlantic and Memphis here today. That's between Marshall and Buffalo. Buffalo up to a a four-and-a-half-point favorite, total 54 in this game. Uh, I've got this one line, Buffalo minus six-and-a-half, so the line move doesn't surprise me at all. In fact, I got in on this one when it was in that three-and-a-half range, so – any thoughts on this one for Christmas Day? Yeah, you know, Marshall's a team that we isolated a lot throughout the year that they were due for regression. So I'm glad that, you know, it came to fruition because it's nice when you talk for so long that Marshall can't be as good as what they look so far this year. And then the last couple games, really, really bad look for Marshall, um, dominated by Rice, mainly because of turnovers. And then really they couldn't do anything against UAB. Uh, Wells was able to put up some good numbers against really bad defenses. And then really when Marshall played a decent defense, they couldn't move the football. Um, You know, Buffalo, they're first in the nation in yards per play this year. I think it's fair to say it's surprising that Buffalo 
had as poor of a showing as they had in the MAC title game. That MAC title game has been crazy for a long time, though, right? I mean, there's been a lot of really big upsets in that. Uh, Buffalo, Jarrett Patterson says he, he is going to play for this one, averaging 7.23 yards per carry. Marshall is giving up 2.67 yards per carry, so something has to give here. You have strength versus strength. We'll say I don't think that Marshall has really played very many teams that can run the football very well this year. Conference USA, like I've said many times now, very weak this year. Marshall does have a good um, defensive line, and um, I tend to lean to the under here if I was going to play anything on the total. Uh, I think that the under has value here. You know, as far as looking at the side, my numbers do like Buffalo on this one. I haven't bet it as you did because I'm always cautious to bet MAC teams, you know, in bowl games. The MAC has done really poorly in bowl season. However, I will have to say that, you know, it's fair to say is, is Conference USA really better than the MAC that much at this point? I mean, Conference USA is really bad. So uh, Marshall's a team that I would rather go against. So I'm going to lean toward Buffalo. I like the under better here. I think that both teams play slowly enough that you're going to see a lot of running, um, some pretty good defenses on both sides. You know, Buffalo, especially for a MAC defense, is a pretty good defense. 39th in the nation in yards per play allowed. Marshall's fourth in the nation in yards per play allowed. So um, I think the the total of 54 is a bit too high. And, you know, I lean to your side on Buffalo, but I, I hate taking MAC teams in bowl season. No, that's fair. And and I think one thing that is pretty nice here about this game is that both of these teams should be invested and motivated. You know, I mean, Buffalo loses their conference championship game. Didn't look great in the process. They will retain Lance Leopold. At least that's what it looks like because a lot of the other jobs have already filled up. You got to think Buffalo wants to erase that loss uh, from, what was it, a week or so ago. And for Marshall, back-to-back bad performances, you have to think that they want to clean things up a little bit, try to get some kind of momentum going into the offseason here. So at least there's that. At least I don't think we're questioning the effort levels of either one of these teams. I think it's just kind of a matter of, you know, which side you like, which side you think takes care of business. And, and for me, I think that's the Buffalo side in that one. We go to Saturday and we're going by rotation number. We're not going chronologically in these games. So the first one on the board is the Cure Bowl. This one in Orlando, Florida, between Liberty and Coastal Carolina. And Coastal seven with extra juice or seven and a half, total 59 or 59 and a half for this one. And this is the game we were supposed to have a few weeks ago when Coastal played BYU and won. Uh, what do you think about this matchup now that we've got it rescheduled? Yeah, here's one I'm looking forward to. You know, I'm looking forward to seeing this game as a fan. Um, as a better, I'd have to take the Liberty side if I was taking a side here, especially at seven and a half. I've seen seven and a half at quite a few places now. So, you know, there's been some real movement toward Coastal. I believe this one opened five. So, um, you know, 52% of the bets so far on Coastal Carolina, 95% of the money on Coastal Carolina. So I do have to say that that has to be, um, sharp or respected money. There's no way the public is betting this this early. So, you know, if you bet Liberty, you're going against that. Um, my uh, my my numbers would tell me that you know at this number, I I would have to lean toward Liberty. Uh, as far as this game, you know, you have to look at these two teams and and realize that both of them have played pretty weak schedules. Liberty has played a really weak schedule. You know, if you look at Liberty, they have played some really bad teams. Um, I think I think Brad Powers had the same play on this one, and, and I've seen him tweet about it, and I've even asked you a couple times. I'm still trying to figure out how I lost with Liberty against FIU. You know, I mean, that was one of those, you know, where they doubled them up in yards, and then FIU was that bad, and Liberty wasn't able to cover the short number in that game. But Liberty has really played a weak schedule throughout the course of this season. 
Um, you know, Malik Willis is a really good quarterback, dual threat guy. Liberty, 5.7 yards per carry. That's eighth in the nation. I, I will caution by saying that really they have played some very weak defenses. So uh, Coastal's defense, not great against the run. They're better against the pass. Liberty should be able to run the ball some, but I don't think they'll find it as easy to run the ball as what they have in some of their other games throughout the course of the season. If you look at Coastal Carolina, what can you say negative about them? They've had a great season. Really wish we got to see Coastal against uh, Louisiana there in that title game because I think that would have been a great game. And I know both you and I really liked Louisiana in that game plus the points. So, you know, if you look at this game, one thing that uh, most people won't mention that I I wanted to say is special teams, um, 28th for Coastal Carolina, according to S&P, 97th for Liberty. It's just hard for me to get to seven and a half with Coastal Carolina when – these two teams are both going to be running the ball 65% of the time. So there's going to be a lot of running plays. That's why I lean to the under here in this game uh, at a total of 59 or 59 and a half. Both these teams have been very good. They're both going to run the football. Both defenses are good, but not great. Um, I think we'll see a lot of long, slow drives in this one, which would make me uh, think that the under would have some value. And also both these teams, eight and two, eight, two and one for Coastal Carolina, eight and two for Liberty against the spread. So both teams have done really good uh, for betters throughout the course of the season. It's just I can't lay seven and a half points with Coastal in a game that I think could be a little bit lower scoring than the odds makers think. And, you know, both teams are going to be running. And if one team gets ahead, they're likely to just kind of um, try to end the game by moving the ball slowly up the field. So I can't um, get that kind of margin in a game like this. Yeah, I think everything you said is fair there. I mean, my line on this game is Coastal minus four. So, you know, I've got a little bit of a power ratings overlay on Liberty. I'm not excited to take it, though, because, again, Liberty will be going about a month in between games. They have not played since November 27th. And maybe that helps them against a Coastal team that played – you know, that very tough BYU game, the tough game at Troy. I'd be on Liberty if it was plus seven and a half and Coastal just played Louisiana last week because this would be a really bad spot for Coastal. They did have the week off, but also the game against Louisiana was canceled because Coastal had COVID issues. So we don't necessarily know who that was, if they're okay, if they're going to play. Not exactly a bye week for you or a week off when you're dealing with, you know, this respiratory illness that's kind of going through your team. So not a play for me pregame, but I think this one fits that mold of what we talked about early in terms of live betting, where if Liberty looks crisp and looks the part, maybe you take a position on them early in this game. If they don't, if they look rusty with that month off and Coastal's doing its Coastal thing, then maybe a live betting opportunity presents itself here. Yeah, I think so. And um, also could be one of those live unders, you know, if they score a couple touchdowns pretty quickly and you can get a live under 66 or something like that. I think that's a good play in a game like this. I am also going to say that I was talking about how weak Liberty's schedule is. Sagarin has their uh, strength of schedule at 140th. Uh, which if you know how many teams there are in uh, division one college football 140 means that they have a weaker schedule than teams like central Arkansas and, and Chattanooga, the teams that just played a few games that are not division one teams. So really weak schedule for Liberty coastal Carolina 107. So not exactly a strong schedule, but far stronger than Liberty. And like you said, um, my number's four and a half on this one. So uh, my numbers would tell me I have to take Liberty plus seven and a half. I don't think I will. I, I'll just lean that way. I think the under is a good look in this game, especially because both of these teams kind of like to play keep away. And, yeah. you know, I don't know if one will have more success than the other. And if one does, that's probably your team that covers the spread. So maybe the total just kind of takes a little bit of that variance environment uh, out of the equation here. 
I don't think either one of us is going to have too much to say about the first responder bowl in Dallas, Louisiana and UTSA. Louisiana laying pretty much 14 out there market-wide. Now, you can still find a 13-and-a-half if you try pretty hard. 56-and-a-half the total for this one. Uh, Again, two teams that love to run the rock. Yeah, I don't have too much to say about this one, like you said. I I guess I would say, and I'll, I'll kind of pose this question to you. So, what do you what do you think about Louisiana's motivation for this game? Because they had to be really up for that game against Coastal Carolina. And I remember, you know, their head coach Napier tweeted, you know, we have to try to reschedule this game, right? Because uh, that was such a big game for them. I would think that this game's a bit of a downgrade for them as compared to getting to play Coastal Carolina. So you could question their motivation level. I'd hate to lay two touchdowns with the team that I don't really know how invested they would be in this game. So uh, UTSA clearly, clearly the weaker team and Louisiana's played a much tougher schedule. Um, I just, you know, I don't know if Louisiana would be highly motivated for this game. Yeah. I think it's a really fair question to ask. And, And the thing about UTSA is, I mean, look, this is a team with one previous bowl appearance in program history. That was back in the 2016 New Mexico bowl. And they covered that number pretty easily, almost won that game over New Mexico. I think they were, nine and a half point dog and lost by three. So UTSA, when you're a program that doesn't go to a bowl game regularly, it's a big deal for you. For Louisiana, they're not playing in New Orleans, which I'm sure they're pretty happy about. But as you said, their bowl game was probably last week against Coastal. So I agree that you sort of wonder, you know, how invested and how motivated they are. On the other hand, if they remotely give a shit, they're clearly the better team here. And my line in this game is 18 which does imply that I think Louisiana is the clearly better team. Like you, though, I just don't know how motivated they're going to be. So this is another one from a live betting standpoint, especially, too, because UTSA, if they get behind, their passing attack is is suspect at best. They try to run the football. They will use some tempo. They really do like to do that. But they like to run the rock over five yards per carry. The passing game wasn't spectacular. If they have to play catch-up, it's a tough thing for them to do. And again, at risk of sounding like a broken record, UTSA has not played since November 28th. Now, at least Louisiana's on 22 days off with last week's game canceled. But still, you know, you've got two teams here that are on pretty extended layoffs. Yeah, you do. And uh, I, I think that's a good point what you made about UTSA if they get behind, too. They have a good running back in Sincere McCormick. Um, UTSA passing game is not good at all. And also Louisiana is really good against the pass. So if they have a weakness, it's against the run. I think if you see early on that UTSA can't run the ball, uh, it's a good time to bet Louisiana live here because UTSA is not going to be able to throw the ball on them very much at all uh, unless they get in some kind of prevent defense. And I, I do think that Louisiana should be able to move the ball in this game uh, fairly well. You know, this total, I think, is right about where it should be. I don't have any lean at all on this total. Both teams have been good under teams. UTSA 8-3 UTSA and three to the under and Louisiana 7-3 and three to the under. I will say um, one stat that kind of stands out as far as if you like UTSA, they're 9 and special teams on S&P and Louisiana's 93rd. So pretty get, pretty big gap there at the same time. Louisiana's uh, clearly the much better team. If this one got you know to 17 or something, I'd consider taking UTSA. But everybody can tell that this isn't a great spot for Louisiana, so I don't think it goes much higher. No, that's an excellent point there to make at the end of that breakdown. I don't think either one of us have a lot to say about the lending tree bowl between Western Kentucky and Georgia State. However... The angle that you mentioned at the top of the show regarding FAU and Memphis might as well give it out here again because that applies to this Western Kentucky-Georgia State game. 
Yeah, the uh, the one about the the better defense. Yes. Yeah, the the better defense who hasn't covered very many games. Here we are again. I will say, um, this is a the angle is zero to forty nine percent covers on the year, so ATS covers, and then the better defense of four point nine yards per play allowed or less against a team that's allowing more than that. It's fifty four and twenty two ATS. That's seventy one percent since 2006 so this is i mean you know it's not a large sample size of a lot of games you know you can only have so many games in bowl season and you're not going to find too many defenses that rate that well but it's a long period of time and it's one nearly every year so i do think it's one that you should pay attention to i will say i'm not excited to back western kentucky in this game and actually my numbers suggest i would want to take um georgia state in this one my guess is I won't bet anything on this game. Western Kentucky's offense is really bad. You know, this is an offense that throughout the course of the season was hardly able to move the ball at all on anyone. I mean, they're 120th in the nation at 4.58 yards per play. Georgia State, I, I just think that they're the better team. They play much faster. Obviously, they're 14th in tempo. Uh, Western Kentucky, 99th. Georgia State's defense is clearly weaker. Western Kentucky's defense is a stronger defense. You know, to me, this is a hard one because, you know, it's both teams I have plenty of question marks about. Georgia State, I don't know that their defense is very good, but can Western Kentucky take advantage of that? Western Kentucky, I think their defense is pretty solid, but I don't know that they can score many points. If I had to take something here, I'd probably take the under, but that one's already moved down from 53 and a half to 51 or 50 and a half. So probably a pass for me. Yeah. And I guess I, I should say this at the top. This one doesn't fully apply to that angle because Western Kentucky allowed 4.99 yards per play. So they're just outside of the sample size for that trend. But the fact of the matter is they do have the clearly better defense here, but as you said, they have a very deficient offense relative to just about anybody in the country. One thing I will say, not related to this bowl game, but Western Kentucky hired the offensive coordinator from Houston Baptist. And for those that don't know about Houston Baptist, they chucked the ball all over the yard. They had the quarterback to do it in Bailey Zappi. Western Kentucky is probably going to look a hell of a lot different offensively next year. So as we think about 2021, I'm probably going to look to fade Western Kentucky early on because their offensive scheme is going to change dramatically. And while that defense is good, when you start spreading the ball around all over the place, you run into three and outs, you put a lot of pressure on that defense. So Western Kentucky, probably a team that going into next season, when we start talking about all this stuff over the summer again, I'll probably be looking to fade early on rather than back. That's a great point. I'm glad you brought that up. Uh, Yeah, Houston Baptist was a fun offense. Uh, We'll see where Bailey Zappi goes. He's going to be a good player for somebody uh, in the transfer uh, portal. But, you know, to me, this is a a Western Kentucky team that really needed to try something different on offense. So we'll see how it works in the long run. Speaking of transfer portals, I believe I just saw on Twitter that Chase Bryce from Duke is transferring to Appalachian State. So Mm -hmm. uh, that'll be interesting because App State usually takes great care of the football and Bryce did anything but for Duke this year. So that'll be kind of an interesting thing to watch heading into next year. Two more bowl games touch on more household teams here. Miami and Oklahoma State. This is the first game on Tuesday, December 29th. Now, real quick, we are moving this segment with Kyle to Mondays starting next week, but wanted to talk about these Tuesday games anyway, just in part to get them out of the way so that we could talk about, you know, all of the other bowl games uh, on next Monday's show. But the Cheez-It Bowl here in Orlando and 
You've seen a little bit of Miami money, and then we saw a little bit of buyback. This line's kind of bounced around a little bit. Predominantly now, Oklahoma State minus two and a total 58 and a half for the Cheez-It Bowl. I mean, I hate to disappoint on this one, but I, I, I don't know what to make of this game. You know, Oklahoma State's been a hard team to read all year. A couple times I thought maybe they were a good team to back, and they really laid an egg, especially in that TCU game. Um, Gundy's done well in bowl games and with extra time to prep. So I think if I had to take a side here, I'd take Oklahoma State. Miami has been really inconsistent in bowl games. You know, you never know what you're going to get from them. Looks like Tylen Wallace says he plans to play in this game. And, uh, you know, this being, uh, you know, the Cheez-It Bowl, we've had some epic Cheez-It Bowls, certainly. Uh, you know, this is this is one that I, I don't know that I want to bet this game. Uh Probably the over would be my lean in this game. My, my total here for this one was 60 and a half. So we're at 58 or 58 and a half. I'll lean to the over in this one. Miami, I, I can't back them based on the way they've been so inconsistent. And that, that showing against North Carolina at the end of the year was really concerning. I know North Carolina has a good offense, but that was a really bad look. Oklahoma State, though, which team are you going to get from them? So uh, as a side, I, I don't know what to do with this one. Yeah, this is uh... – this is a game where I think live betting is an opportunity. Certainly. I think, you know, pre-flop, I mean, I've got Miami minus four in this game. So I've got a very big overlay relative to the market. The problem is Miami just gave up 550 rushing yards to North Carolina. You know, are they going to be able to stop the run for Oklahoma state? If they can, then Oklahoma state's offense is probably not going to do a whole lot in this game because their quarterback play has been terrible. So again, this is one watch how the first quarter plays out. Is Oklahoma State getting positive yardage with the running game? Are they getting, does it have to be a lot of yards after contact? Or are they creating big holes, big openings, big opportunities, all of that? If they are, it probably doesn't change. If they're not, then that should benefit Miami, especially if Miami can play in front here in this game, because Oklahoma State does not want to be in a position to throw and play catch up. So again, I mean, you know, I don't know if it's just the way that these matchups kind of shook out or just the uncertainty surrounding COVID and long layoffs and so on and so forth, but I don't see a lot of great spread plays in these early bowl games. See some totals opportunities. And then, of course, you know, the live betting things that we've talked about already. Yeah, I mean, um, like a couple of totals that we've talked about here today, um, don't love the sides on too many. So, yeah, I agree with you. Um, my numbers have Miami minus one in this one. So I, th- I think I downgraded Miami quite a bit there in the last couple weeks. Oklahoma State is one where I just, I trust Gundy a little bit more. So if I had to take a side, I would take Oklahoma State. But, you know, I've been too high on Spencer Sanders. I thought he was going to be good. Um, he hasn't been very good. I know he's been a bit banged up, so maybe he'll still improve. But Oklahoma State, uh, the only side I could take in this game, but I think I like the over a little bit better, especially with Miami having a lot of question marks on whether they can actually stop the run. Last one here. And we've, uh, we've definitely seen an adjustment in this number, Colorado and Texas, Texas down to nine or nine and a half across the board. This one did open easily in double digits up at 13 total 63 and a half for this one. What's going on with this big adjustment to the number with Colorado now a single digit underdog. Yeah, I would have taken Colorado at, at plus 13. At nine, I can't take them. You're not getting, I mean, my, my line value here, uh, my numbers would suggest taking Texas, but I don't want to lay the points with Texas. Texas is not a team that, that I want to lay points with. Tom Herman as a favorite. 
not good. Tom Merman is an underdog. Everybody knows how he does as an underdog. Colorado, I think, should be up for this game too. I, you know, I wonder what Texas's motivation is here. You know, I, I think that it's it's possible Texas could come out and look really good in this game, but I think it's also possible that they could uh, kind of mail this game in a little bit and and uh, either win very small margin or even lose this game. Uh, I like the total better here. So, you know, I am a better totals handicapper than I am at sides. I like the under better in this one, uh, 63 and a half, a little bit too high as compared to my numbers. Uh, Texas's defense has been quite a bit better this year. And I think that that's been a little bit underrated by some people there. 5.27 yards for play. That's 30th best in the country. And Colorado's offense has really not been very good. 5.61 yards for play, which is 71st in the country. So to me, um, I can look to the under in this one. As far as the side, I'm not laying the points with Texas, so I guess I'll still lean with Colorado, even though my numbers would suggest otherwise. But I, I can't take plus nine when plus 13 was out there. Yeah, no, neither can I. And it's one where, I mean, look, uh, admittedly, I had Colorado plus seven. So, you know, this is one that I, I kind of waited and watched, and I was wondering, you know, is Texas going to take a little bit of money? You know, is this a spot where I can maybe get a 13 and a half or – you know, maybe get a 14 at minus 120, something like that. And the answer was no. And, you know, look, I will say this. In Texas's defense, I mean, you know, they lost that game to TCU. That's not a great look for them. They played right there with Oklahoma in the Red River rivalry shootout, whatever the hell it's called now. And they only lost by three to Iowa State. Now, you know, that box score was a little bit different than the final score would suggest. But this is a Texas team that when you look at the games they've lost, they're, they're really not that bad. And for Colorado, you know, they played very well out of the gate for Carl Durrell. So I think these are, in some ways, a couple of play-on teams. And usually if I've got two play-on teams in a bowl game, you know, I'm kind of trying to extract as much line value as possible. Was waiting on 13 and a half, didn't get it, and now I missed the boat. Yeah, I think that's fair. I think that, um, you know, I'm surprised the line has moved this much, right? I mean, we wouldn't have expected it to go from 13 all the way down to nine, but it has um is, you know, is it at, opt-outs is it COVID is it something we don't know about I haven't handicapped this game very much so you know maybe we can follow up on this one next week if if uh we see anything that that stands out but you know I I don't know um you know Sam Neuer the last I knew had a shoulder injury and was questionable so that wouldn't really you know <laughs> that would that would be the opposite of what this line has done though so you know I, I don't think Neuer is a great quarterback and Colorado's had a good team in general this year but I don't know. I'm surprised that this one has moved down so much. Um, Texas likely will have some opt-outs. I haven't seen that, uh, you know, be breaking news that there's been a bunch of them now. But, you know, like I said, uh, the fact that this one's still, what, six days away, uh, we have some extra time to handicap this game. So for now, I'm going to say I like the under, and uh, maybe we revisit this one next week. Yeah, and the reason we can revisit it next week is because we are moving this show from Wednesdays to Mondays. I don't know what I'm going to do with Wednesday as of yet. I think right now I'm definitely going to take next Wednesday off with all the holidays and and all that kind of thing. But after the new year may get something different on Wednesdays since Kyle and I will be doing Mondays. Uh, Maybe I'll just leave Wednesday open because when we get to conference tournament time and all that, you and I usually like to go very in-depth, talk a lot about that. Maybe we get two shows per week, something like that. But I'll let our listeners know. Uh, as soon as I do with that, we move over to the college basketball side of things here to talk about the things that we usually talk about looking for some regression teams, tempo changes, all that kind of thing. Look, if you want us to run down a bunch of picks, it's just not going to happen on this show. It's actually rare that we do what we just did 
talking about all of those individual bowl games, we want to set you up for success to handicap these things for yourself, to be able to look for some of these things, to isolate some of these teams in line for regression. Some of these teams where maybe the betting markets haven't caught up to their tempo changes, stuff like that. So trying to give you the blueprint for success to handicap for yourself, instead of just following what we tell you to do, like a lot of other shows out there are doing nowadays. So with that, we get some teams in line for some regression here. And in fact, you're looking at all three of them on the offensive side, beginning with Southern Illinois. Yeah. And before I say Southern Illinois, I just want to say that we have had some pretty good thoughts here the last couple of weeks, as far as teams that could be good to back or fade uh, the premium look ads have done well. And I wanted to give Adam some credit here. Adam's had some really good points here in the last couple of weeks. You know, I know he doesn't consider himself a, a big college basketball handicapper, but you've been spot on on some of these games lately. The Davidson game last week, the Kansas game last week, um, the Santa Clara points that you've made. Uh, that, that's made some better, some really good money. So nice work on those. No, I appreciate that. Thank you. Yeah, so um, we don't usually take too much time to pat ourselves on the back here. So I, I wanted to at least give you some credit there on that. But um, regression candidates here, Southern Illinois offense, uh, off a nice win against Butler. You know, this is a Southern Illinois team, though, that is due for some negative regression when it comes to their offense. They're shooting nearly 45% from three-point range, and they're 18th in effective field goal percentage offense. But they've faced, according to Ken Pomeroy, the 261st-ranked slate of defenses. And off offensively, you'd think, well, they just lit up Butler. That's pretty impressive. But Butler's been really bad on defense so far this year. And then they beat up on some really bad teams outside of that. So I think Southern Illinois teams are going to be a little bit, or uh, handicappers will be a little bit too high on them here coming up. I think their their defense is pretty good. I think their offense has probably improved, but it's not as good as it looks so far. I think it's an interesting point that you make and, and something that you, know, you definitely want to be looking at here at this time of the year. Mentioning that Ken Palm lists Southern Illinois as having faced the 261st ranked slate of defenses. You and I were talking about this college basketball segment a little bit before we started recording. And one of the things that's important to look at at this time of the year is strength of schedule. And I've kind of talked about that with Oakland who, you know, covered the first game against UIC got blown out in the second one, but some teams have played very challenging non-conference schedules. Others have not. Now a lot of teams getting into conference play with a little bit of a condensed college basketball schedule here for this season so that's an important thing to look at you know some of these teams are putting up good numbers or bad numbers based on the strength of schedule that they've played now at least in theory in a very simplified manner now that you go into conference play where you're playing teams of a comparable talent level and all of that then you know you you really want to put these statistics in the right kind of context. It's very, very important to do, especially as I said, with conference play looming for a lot of these teams. Yeah, absolutely. A good point. You know, um, something that's good to bring up right now, now that we are getting into conference play. And like you said, there's not been near as many non-conference games as you would normally see, but you know, it can go either way on this because you could be a team. That's not a very good team playing against excellent, um, teams in the non-conference and now they you go and play against teams that aren't near as good 
and then it works out pretty well for you. A team like a Texas Southern, you know, they, they've been playing really good teams in non-conference. Then they go to play the SWAC. It's going to be a big difference for them. On the other hand, when you go and, uh, you know, you're, you're a really high-quality team from a big-name conference and you play a bunch of Division Two teams or something like that, you can really pad those stats and then not look nearly as good once you get to conference season. So I think that's a good point. Something that people need to remember is that you really do have to pay attention to who these teams have played and who they put up these stats against, because uh, we're about to conference season for a lot of conferences. Some of them are already in it. Others are close to it. And um, that's going to change things quite a bit. So you do want to consider how they have looked against them in previous seasons, especially if they have a lot of the same players that they had from the year before. Well, and then one of the teams that I'll throw out here, and then we'll get to the other two that you have, UNC Greensboro is pretty interesting to me right now because when you look at their defensive free throw rate against, opponents are basically parading to the free throw line. And this isn't a thing like uh, like Rhode Island where you know they're really extending games or anything like that. Maybe that's kind of come into play a little bit here for Greensboro as they have some pretty high free throw rates against in three of their losses to Winthrop, Duquesne, and Coppin State. But this is not a case where they're playing you know, a great schedule early on. They played some good teams lately. They have not. They're sending a ton of opponents to the free throw line. Opponents are only shooting 67.4%. So they're leaving some points out there. Greensboro's generally a pretty good defensive team, but correct me if I'm wrong. Now that they get into SoCon play and the SoCon, maybe not as great as it has been in past years, but it's a very good shooting conference where I presume a lot of these teams can do a lot of damage at the free throw line and that could really hurt Greensboro going forward. Yeah, you know, Greensboro presses. So um, they haven't fouled near as much as they, they have so far this year in the past couple of seasons, but they always use that kind of a zone press that actually kind of works to slow the other team down. But they've played several teams who play very quickly. Like you said, they have actually lost some games that they probably shouldn't have lost. They lost to Coppin State 86-80. to 80. And uh, I have to point that one out because Greensboro was five for 36 from three-point range in that one. Uh, Not great. So, you know, this is a Greensboro team that I I think may be a bit underrated at this point, to be honest. Isaiah Miller, one of the best players in this conference. You know, Greensboro is a tough team to bet totals with because they do use that press and then they kind of back into a, a defense that's good in the half court. They're good on defensive rebounds. Um, they're not a great offensive team, but Greensboro is going to be one of the best teams in that conference. Definitely. I still think the SoCon is, is very good. I don't think they're quite as good as they were the last couple of years because East Tennessee state's way down, but Greensboro is an interesting case for sure. I think they're going to keep fouling more than an average team, but, uh, the, the rate that they've fouled at so far this year, I would think that that would uh, come down a little bit. Well, and I know you love to look at rebounding, and Greensboro's an excellent rebounding team, both yeah. offensively and defensively, and they're shooting 25.6% from three. You have to think that comes up a little bit. Uh, so maybe, as you said, Greensboro could be a little bit underrated here, uh, so that may be a team that you want to have on your radar. We'll stay in that part of the country here and talk about Charleston Southern, one of the regression candidates that you're looking at. Yeah, so we love to go under the radar, and here's one way under the radar. Charleston Southern's offense, uh, they should improve some. Turnover rate of 29.7% through six games. Um, nobody can be that bad, right? I, I don't think so. I mean, this is a you know, 30% turnover rate. is uh, That can't continue. The other thing about this one that I wanted to point out is Flandris Fleming maybe the best player in the big South conference. And he missed the team's first three games. And in those, 
they had some epic turnover rates. So, I mean, you know, they, they're going to improve versus what that was because, you know, you can't turn the ball over as much as they did in those first few games consistently. And also they played some teams in those first few games that really can turn you over a lot. So as you look at Charleston Southern, I don't think they're a really good team, but I think they're a bit better than they look so far this year. I mean, they turned the ball over a bunch against NC State, Eastern Kentucky, a team that presses 25 turnovers against Eastern Kentucky, against NC State, 32 turnovers. That's almost unheard of, really. But like I said, Fleming didn't play in those games. He's clearly their best player. I think their offense will get better here. So maybe some overs with them, maybe even a team to back here because I think that they're not quite as bad as they look so far this year. And this is a team did lose their first two conference games to Hampton, which is not a good look at all, but you know, they're in the conference play portion of the season. Now it's where they don't have, you know, any of those really significant talent disadvantages. And as you said, now with their best player kind of getting back into rhythm, uh, you know, that's something that should definitely help them. Also Philandris Fleming, that, that's an all name team. I think yeah, in is. college basketball this year. Absolutely. is. I agree with you. All right, so uh, let's talk Providence as we uh, go from under the radar to very much on the radar with a team that everybody knows about. What are you looking at here with the Friars? So Providence is a team that I'm convinced there's no way they can keep this up on offense. You know, offensively, Providence, if you look at Haslametrics, one that we talked about last week, if you look at where they're shooting the ball from and what kind of shots they're getting consistently and what they're making and not making so far this year, Providence can't keep this up. They're making a lot of tough shots long contested twos. They're not getting to the basket that well. And in the past couple seasons, they've been 278th and 290th in effective field goal percentage offense. This is a team that wins with defense usually. We know that Ed Cooley's a good coach. By the end of the year, they're going to be playing quite a bit better than they are right now in general because, you know, this is a Providence team that usually starts the season playing a little bit slowly uh, and they improve throughout the course of the year. They did have a really bad performance performance against Indiana but they played a little bit better than normal I think Providence might be a fade team here coming up in the near future and then a team that you want to back later in the season but there's no way Providence can keep shooting the ball this well Uh, they're 47th in uh, offensive efficiency so far this year I don't see that continuing I, I don't see many guys on their team that are really shooters David Duke's a good shooter and then it pretty much stops there they don't really have good shooters on their team so I think Providence has made a lot of tough shots so far this year. Their defense actually has been a little bit weaker than normal so far this year. So I think Providence will improve defensively and get weaker offensively. So I, I like to look for some Providence unders going forward. Now, as I said earlier in the show, you, you look a lot at rebounding. That's a very important metric for you. And of course, you look a lot at tempo because you, know, you are a college basketball totals expert. Is effective field goal percentage a big part of your handicapping as well? Yeah, I think effective field goal percentage is pretty important because, you know, then you can uh, figure out how the two and three distribution is working out and um, how efficient a team can be. Obviously, it matters a lot, too, if you're turning the basketball over very much. So, um, yeah, I think effective field goal percentage is really important. Uh, rebounding even more important. Um, you know, there's there's a lot of stats that you can look at in college basketball. All of them have some worth. Some of them are worth more than others. I think effective field goal percentage offense is a good way to look at, you know, um, whether a team's going to be very efficient on that end. And it's a good thing to look at when you've been playing against teams that are not very good compared to what you're going to be playing against. So, you know, it kind of can smooth things out a little bit. I think Providence is one of those teams that 
they have played a pretty good schedule this so far this year. So a lot of people are going to think, well, they've played the 55th slate of defenses. They're shooting this well. They should keep it up. I, you know, the numbers don't suggest, you know, just looking at, at Ken Pomeroy, I don't think that you'd say, well, they're definitely going to do worse offensively, but you look at Haslametrics, you look at where they're shooting the ball from, you look at the shooters that they have on their team. Um, I don't think that this team's going to continue to shoot this well. I, I just don't see it, it happening. All right. So we got some tempo changes to talk about, and I want to throw one out first and I want to give you props because I know you were on the over on Monday in this game between UMass and Bryant, but I don't believe Bryant is a team we've talked about yet on the show. Uh, they're third now in Bart Torvik's adjusted tempo metric. Uh, they're playing quite a bit quicker this year. Bryant's playing far faster this year. Um, they, they're really getting up and down. Sorry the court. if I take your edge away, by the way. I don't know if the, <laughs> yeah. I don't know if the odds makers have caught up or not. Uh, I, I think I've played two or three Bryant overs so far this year. I think I've won either both or all three of those, but um, Bryant is a team that the odds makers are going to catch up too soon though, because a lot of people took that over the other day. I, that that line moved up like 11 or 12 points. And, you know, I, I made a really big bet on the over in that game. And, you know, as, as it went afterwards, I kind of wish I hadn't, but I, I actually bet back for about 25, 30% of the bet um, had 11 point middle. So, you know, I feel like you have to kind of take that chance if you have that big of a uh, a margin there. But, you know, it went way over the, both of the totals. And I think Bryant overs would still be the way I would lean. But I do think that the odds makers are going to catch up soon because people are starting to talk about it quite a bit. So let's follow up on this and let's see what the Bryant totals are here in the next few weeks. And I also wonder going forward, I mean, Bryant's shooting almost 42% from three. I, yeah. I can't imagine that continues. 76% from the line too, which – you know, we'll see if that continues, but also opponents are only shooting 28% from three. So if they keep playing this breakneck pace that they're playing, their offensive production from three goes down, opponents starts going up. Bryant might be a decent fade team as we go forward here too. Yeah, I think that Bryant is probably better than they've been in the last few seasons. So I don't know that I'm really anxious to fade them, but I do agree with you that their their numbers look a little bit unsustainable. Uh, they do play against some teams that aren't very good in conference. So we'll see what the odds makers do with their, their games, because I think Brian is improved. I think they have a good head coach, a guy who in Grasso has specifically said that he is very analytical, you know, in his thinking. And I, I think that those are the types of teams that I'd rather bet on than bet against. So I'm not anxious to bet against them, but I do agree with you that their numbers don't look terribly sustainable. All right, so another fast team here, and, and this one's not under the radar like a team like Bryant. This is actually a team from the Big Ten that you're looking at, and it's uh, it's definitely quite a bit faster for the Minnesota Golden Gophers. Yeah, uh, Minnesota, I'm surprised they're playing this this much faster. I want to see if they keep doing this, but they were 17.9 seconds per possession last year, 14.8 seconds per possession so far this year. Uh, they're trying to push the pace with Carr in the backcourt. They don't have Oturu in the frontcourt anymore. Um, I assume that's why they want to play faster. They don't have that uh, defensive shot blocker and the big guy down low. Um, I mean, they do have a big guy in Robbins, but, you know, it's he's not the same type of player that, that uh, Oturu was. You know, and, and this team, as far as Minnesota, you know, they have been pretty inconsistent so far this year. I know that their record is 7-1. and one. They lost badly against Illinois, 92-65. to 65. Uh, Needed overtime to beat Boston College. 
really they've played a pretty easy schedule so far this year. And I think Minnesota may be a bit overvalued by some people at this point. Um, it's probably important to point out that they are going to play Iowa next, um, a game that apparently is on Christmas. I didn't realize that they were going to be, uh, they were going to be playing on Christmas day, but uh, Ken Palm has this one at 165. Probably the total will not come out that high based on the fact that Iowa just played a lower scoring game against Purdue, but I couldn't bet the under uh, in an Iowa and Minnesota game. That's for sure. So uh, that Iowa Gonzaga game did go over the total with a really high number. I think there are going to be some really high scoring games with Iowa this year, Minnesota. I'm not convinced that they'll continue to play this fast, but they're clearly playing faster than they did last year. Torvik showing that one at 168 for Friday's Christmas game, four games in the big 10 on Friday, the ones on the schedule here. I don't know if anything could be added or not, but Four Big Ten games, what we're looking at. Speaking of Big Ten country, we go from the Big Ten to the MAC for a team that's playing quite a bit slower here so far this season. Yeah, Western Michigan, they're playing a full second per possession slower so far this year. And I think it's important to point out that usually early in the season, teams play a little bit quicker than they do later in the year once they start playing conference opponents. So it's going to be easier to find teams that are playing faster than last year than it is to find ones that are playing slower. So Western Michigan playing a full uh, second per possession slower is one of the bigger tempo changes down. I think this is probably the least talented team in the MAC. I think it makes a lot of sense for them to try to slow things down this year and try to win those lower scoring games. They picked up a nice win against Central Michigan, a big rival of theirs. Western Michigan, a team that I think is going to be pretty bad this year. So a team that I'd rather bet against or bet unders with. Um, If they're playing another team who plays slowly, I think you could see some really low scoring games with Western Michigan. So here's a team that I think is going to be very weak throughout this course of the season and a team that may have some value playing unders with. Now, of course, everybody in this business cites Ken Palm and for good reason. I mean, Ken Palm has been doing it for a long time. It's a very valuable resource. We talk a lot about Haslam metrics on the show. Uh, That's something that, you know, hopefully people are getting more accustomed to. We also talk a lot about Bart Torvik's website and, One of the things that you and I both really like about Torvik's site is the presentation of his data and also the way that you can kind of manipulate that data into looking at the range that you're specifically looking for or maybe some different kinds of splits. And uh, that's something you want to make mention of on today's show. Yeah, absolutely. And first of all, I had several people reach out to me about the the Haslametrics thing from last week, bringing up Haslametrics and, and the different ways that you can look at numbers on there that can help you as a handicapper. Um, several people said, you know, appreciate that segment, appreciate um, finding a site that I hadn't seen before. So hopefully we can continue to uh, give you some things that you haven't seen before and help you make you a better uh, college basketball better throughout the course of the season. But the Bart Torvik site is tremendous. Uh, one thing I wanted to say is that you can go to the team pages on Bart Torvik's site, use that drop down box to look at how a team performs at home on the road on a neutral floor. You can also look at how they play versus top 50 teams, top 100 teams. It's really the best site when it comes to uh, looking at splits. You know, some teams can really have drastic splits. And I know some people can be skeptical as to whether those splits will continue. But in a sport like college basketball, there are some teams that just frankly are not good playing somewhere other than home. And at home, they are better. Now, you could argue that that might be a bit different this year because, you know, without the fans and things like that in, in the COVID season. But I still think there will be teams that, you know, play much better at home than they do on the road. And also teams that will play differently when they're playing against those top 50 teams than they do when they're playing against a weaker team. That's something I wanted to point out, too. Looking at totals, 
some teams will slow down their pace of play when they're playing a team that's better than them. Some teams just play the way that they do all the time, even if it probably would make more sense for them to play slower. That's a good, good way to look at that is on Bart Torvik's site to look at the, you know, how they play against better teams, how they play against weaker teams. And then obviously, like I said, the home and road splits, very, very helpful. And of course, as the sample size increases too, you know, that's where that gets really, really important. And, And especially, you know, I talked about it already at the top of today's show, start looking at those strength of schedule things, you know, where some teams in, in these low major conferences have played those paycheck games, gotten their asses kicked. Now they're going to play teams that they can actually be competitive against. And you'll be able to see, you know, how they did in non-conference games, how they, how they're doing in conference games. You mentioned away and neutral. That's a, a setting you can look at as well. So those things are all very important right now. Obviously it's a little bit challenging with the smaller sample sizes, but as we get more games played and, you know, so far it does seem like these teams are, are pretty much figuring things out as much as they possibly can. Those sample sizes will just continue to increase and be more significant in the handicapping process. We got one team to back and one team to fade. Then I got a question for you, and then we'll finish up with a couple of games here coming up throughout the rest of the week. Who are you looking to back right now that you think is a little bit undervalued in the market? So I'm going to back Middle Tennessee State. They're one and four ATS. They've improved a lot on defense. Now, look, this is a bad team on offense. Everybody knows that. But any minor improvement from their pathetic shooting numbers so far this year would make them a really good team to back. I think Middle Tennessee's offense is bad, but they'll probably get a little bit better than they've been so far this year. And like I said, they've really improved a lot on defense. This is a team that everybody's going to be very low on nobody's going to want to bet them and usually this is one of those stock market things you know we talk about the back and fade is kind of you know trying to buy low sell high and that's what i want to do with a team like middle tennessee state a team that everybody wants to get rid of because they've played so poorly so far this year i think they could be a good team to back especially as an underdog here going forward yeah i think it's also important to point out with middle tennessee state as well that you know, this is a team that, that did have a coaching change recently with, uh, you know, this being the third year here with McDevitt, it takes time. You know, Kermit Davis did a great job there in Murfreesboro. He also had the talent and that talent left pretty much around the same yeah. time that he did. And that's often what happens with these low and mid-major coaches. The writing's on the wall. They're fully aware. They know that they're losing the guys that have taken them to the dance. So it's probably a good time to move on. The team that McDevitt inherited from Kermit Davis was nothing like the teams of Davis that, you know, made the NCAA tournament in 16 and 17 could very well have done so in 18. Maybe McDevitt's just now starting to put his stamp on the program a little bit. It's just like college football. Usually it takes two or three years, maybe four years for a coach to really, really get things going, especially if there are big losses. And that seems to be the case for middle Tennessee state. I would think. I think that's a fantastic point, especially the fact that middle Tennessee was going to be Middle Tennessee State was going to be far worse, regardless of who their coach was, right when uh, that coaching change happened. So he walked into a really tough spot. Uh, and I don't think that Middle Tennessee State's a good team now, but I think that they could be undervalued in the marketplace. And that's really what we're looking for. We're not necessarily looking for teams that are excellent teams. We're looking for teams that could be good to bet versus the number. And that's what I think they could be. That's exactly right. We're not looking for wins. We're looking for covers. You know, that's, that's all that we're looking for. And you know, that's why the spread and, and that, you know, handicap is built in place for these teams. Who are you looking to fade here as we go forward? And is this a short-term fade or a long-term fade? So I'm looking to fade UCF here. 
This is more of a short-term fade because I think that they're too high. Uh, people are going to be too high on them based on what they just did in their last couple games. They beat Florida State on the road 86-74. to Then they beat Cincinnati 75-70. to And the important thing about that, there was a lot of steam on Cincinnati in that game. So this is a game that a lot of people uh, got to see UCF just beat them. You know, a lot of people just bet against UCF. So now everybody's going to want to bet on UCF because this is what they just saw recently. And this UCF team, to me, you know, they have really um, high profile wins in the last couple games. But I don't know that UCF's as good as everybody thinks they are right now. I know they beat Auburn in the first game. I don't think Auburn's very good right now. So, um, you know, that, that was not the huge win that it looked like it was. And then they lost by 22 to Michigan. Really nice win at Florida State. Cincinnati's not very good right now either. So I, I don't know that that win, you know, was all that impressive. The other thing that concerns me about UCF, you said that I love looking at rebounding numbers and they're really bad defensive rebounding team that usually you don't get away with that consistently. You know, if you're giving up 35.6% of opponents missed shots, they're getting back as offensive rebounds. It's way too high. Now I know they've played some tall teams, especially Florida state, but UCF is not a very good defensive rebounding team. They're about to play Houston here later this week. I would lean Houston in that game. Uh, Houston. I see Ken Palm has this one at eight. Um, you know, eight points is quite a bit to lay. I would hope the number would be a little bit smaller than that. But Houston is a really high quality team. And I think that could be a tough game for UCF. And then after that, they're going to be laying points against Tulane in a game that could be a difficult spot for them. I would lean toward Tulane plus the points and then playing at South Florida, a team that is pretty inconsistent, but is certainly capable of beating them. Now, maybe this point that I'm about to make here is something better served for Monday's show, so we don't have to spend a ton of time on it if you don't think it's necessary. But I'm looking at Bryant here, who we talked about earlier as a team playing a lot faster. They don't have another scheduled game until January 7th. So a big, long layoff throughout the holiday period here. And I know that you mentioned on last week's show, teams that were on a COVID pause were teams that you just had no interest in backing in that first game, probably looking to fade them, maybe the first couple of games while they try to get back into rhythm. So are there any teams on a COVID pause or, you know, are you kind of worried about the holiday break? You know, I think the holiday break thing is, is not one that I would just bet against a team because that's a different situation. Obviously you're not, you're at least practicing, you know, you can still be together as a team uh, that makes it a lot different than if you have to sit out for a couple of weeks and you don't even get to practice and then you get one or two practices and all at once you're playing again. Having said that, the first game after a long break like that, I would tend to not want to play a high over. So uh, Bryant, that's a good point to point out that Bryant, I don't know that I'll want to play the over in their first game back. And I don't know, who do they play in that first game back? Uh, looks like it's a back-to-back against Central Connecticut State. That's something I want to talk about too. Maybe we can talk about that next week with some of these back-to-backs and being interesting um, handicaps. But uh, Central Connecticut State's going to be a team that's going to give up a lot of points. So I don't want to bet the under in that game because I think Bryant will still score a lot of points, but maybe that's one of those cases where you try to hit a second half over. And I know in Bryant games, it might be a bit hard to find halftime lines. There might be a couple books that have those, but um, you know, as far as the long break, it tends to help the under, especially first half unders. And uh, that's something that we can discuss more uh, next week, hopefully. But I do think the long break is not helpful but I would much rather bet a team off a, a holiday break than I would off a COVID pause. One team that I, I will note that is playing their first games here, DePaul, 
Um, DePaul about to play their first games. I would not want to lay points with DePaul here in the early going. If they play well and I sit it out, that's fine. I, I just I don't think you want to take a chance on a team like that because you know um, there's there's so many question marks and there've been some really bad performances in those first games off of COVID pause. All right, a couple of games to talk about here, and this was an email request from one of our lovely listeners, and uh, we certainly appreciate all of our listeners here and certainly appreciate them even more at this time of the year with so much going on with the holiday rush. And, you know, obviously the holiday is a little bit different this year for everybody, but, you know, still we appreciate everybody tuning in on a regular basis that does. Michigan State and Wisconsin, one of those Christmas games here with Michigan State at home, Wisconsin on the road. And the Badgers playing very, very well here so far this year. Michigan State, you know, things were going pretty well. And then they ran into Northwestern on Sunday. This is a game that I, I'm interested in and how this one goes because Michigan State just lost to Northwestern last game. And I watched a decent amount of that game. And I don't think you can give me too much shit for that one, right? That's not no, that bad. Of a game. Okay. All right. So, um, you know, kind of running joke for, for the bad games that I watched in college football season. But no, I mean, Northwestern, that was a big upset. I don't remember how many years it was, but it was a lot of years since Northwestern had beaten a team in the top five really big win for them, but Michigan state missed a lot of easy shots in that game. They had wide open threes. They just were not connecting. I thought that was more about Michigan state playing poorly. They were eight for 31 on three pointers. And a lot of these were really open shots. Um, I think Michigan state played really poorly in that game and uh, Northwestern, a team that I'd be cautious about betting on based on that game alone. So I think Northwestern will still be one of the weaker teams in the big 10 Wisconsin coming into this game. You know, um, Ken Pomeroy has this one, Wisconsin by three. I hope Wisconsin's favored by three in this one. I don't know if maybe you can look up Torvik while I'm talking here, but uh, this is one where Wisconsin by three seems to me like that could be a buy on Michigan State because uh, Michigan State's a team that does you know, play well at home generally. Obviously, it's not, it's not the normal season, but they've already won on the road at Duke. Um, you know, this is a team that has really high talent level. Wisconsin's a very good team, but Wisconsin lost their sole road game uh, at Marquette by two points. If I'm getting points with Michigan State, that's certainly my lean in this game. Yeah, first game outside of the state of Wisconsin for the Badgers, of course, Marquette in Milwaukee. And, uh, you know, you got this one here. I'm seeing that Torvik's got this one actually around four. So uh, actually minus 3.9 to be exact. So that's a pretty interesting one there, I guess I would say. And, of course, we'll see what that line comes out on Christmas Day. And, of course, with only four college basketball games on Christmas Day, five NBA games, one bowl game, those college games, especially being in a high-profile conference, will take a lot of money. So, you know, you may want to be very, very aware of your market entry uh, for those games here on Friday. Small slate on Saturday as well, coming out of the Christmas holiday. But one game that is just outright fascinating Gonzaga and Virginia and this is one that we had a listener request to discuss yeah and this one's on a neutral court um, in Fort Worth Texas so those neutral court games usually tend to go under more often than not Um, the Iowa Gonzaga game was still 99 88 on a neutral court so I don't think that you can just blindly bet neutral court unders but I always want to lean to the under first having said that I looked at this game a little bit here last night after I got that email from a listener. And I, and I have to say that I can't bet the under in this game because I think that Gonzaga is going to score points here. You know, Virginia is a very good defensive team, 
But I think Virginia is not quite as good on defense this year as they were a couple of those other seasons. I also think they're a little bit better on offense this year than they were last year. Last year's Virginia offense was terrible. Um, 234th in offensive efficiency last year. So far this year, um, 53rd in offensive efficiency. Virginia is going to have to score points if they want to keep up with Gonzaga in this one because the Zags are so good on offense I think they are going to score. Ken Pomeroy has this one at 137. I would assume this number may come out a bit below what Ken Pomeroy and uh, Torvik put this game at because it is a neutral site game. I would lean to the over in this game, and I don't know that I'll want to bet this because I don't really love betting neutral court overs. On the side, I think I lean Gonzaga here. Mark Fuse teams have been really good to, to back early in the season. Uh, Virginia, I still think, does have more question marks than does Gonzaga. And Virginia really hasn't played anybody that good so far this year. I mean, they're scheduled Towson, San Francisco, St. Francis, Kent State, William & Mary. They lost to San Francisco by a point. They beat Kent State in overtime. So I'm far more confident that Gonzaga is a really good team than what I am about Virginia. Well, it should be an interesting one. Again, uh, possibly an all-time pace war type game, as we love to talk about those on our editions of ATS Radio with professional better and handicapper Kyle Hunter from huntersportspicks.com. Again, as I said, the next time you hear the two of us together, it will be on Monday's show as opposed to Wednesday. But Kyle, what's happening over at the website right now? I lowered the prices here for the basketball season passes. Uh, NBA starting up now too. I made my first NBA play for tonight. Uh, College basketball, it's been a good run here the last week or so. And college basketball for me, I think I'm uh, 10 and two or something like that on my last 12 total totals plays and totals is what I play most of. That's, that's definitely my specialty in college basketball. So um, you can reach out to me if you want the the special price there on the, the college basketball and NBA season pass, you can get every play for college basketball and the NBA for 599 bucks there. If you don't want to pay, you can go over to the site, huntersportsfix.com free picks, one with the free pick this past weekend with Florida and Alabama first half over the total in college football, be given some bowl free plays and some college basketball free plays coming up. And also wanted to say Merry Christmas to Adam, you and yours and uh, all the listeners. I hope everybody has a great um, holiday season here. Absolutely. I'll echo those same thoughts and uh, I'll be back on tomorrow's show with Brad Powers, professional veteran handicapper from bradpowersports.com talking about college football in the NFL. And then I'll also be on Friday uh, doing my Circus Sports Million segment. Probably going to keep that real short with the Christmas holiday, but uh, I'll have multiple days to extend my Christmas thoughts, but certainly extend Christmas well wishes to you and yours, man. And I know that uh, both of us very big on our families and, of course, you know, like most people, very big on our significant others. So uh, you know, hopefully everybody enjoys the holiday and certainly hope the same for you, man. Thank you, man. Take care. All right, there you go. There's professional better and handicapper Kyle Hunter from huntersportspicks.com. And as I said, be back on the show Thursday with Brad Powers, Friday doing the circus segment. That's how we'll wrap up this week. And again, Kyle will be on next Monday with me, and that will be the plan as we go forward. That'll do it for me. Thank you so much for listening, everybody. And I will talk to you again tomorrow.